This podcast is for all of you hardcore fans of Babylonian history. So the last time we really talked about Babylon or Babylonia specifically was in the episodes on Nebuchadnezzar I and what scholars call the Second Dynasty of Essene. In other episodes, we talked about Babylon during the Assyrian occupation, as well as were introduced to Nabopolassar and the Neo-Babylonian Empire. However, we never got into that murky period of Babylonian history between the Second Dynasty of Essene and the Assyrian occupation of the country, which is what this episode will be about. During the long history of the land that we today call Babylonia, what transpired between the years 1021 to 730 BCE is murky at best. It was also one of the most dangerous and politically unstable periods in the history of ancient Mesopotamia. The most complete Babylonian king list so far uncovered divides this period of roughly 300 years into four dynasties. The first three of these, from 1021 to 975 BCE, were extremely short. The last one, from 974 to 732 BCE, was fairly longer and is simply called Dynasty E. However, scholars of Dynasty E have determined that it was in fact not even a single dynasty, but one made up of the rulers from different families and rival tribes. The reigns of all of these dynasties were overall a low point in Babylonian history. The kingdom, though independent, had hit rock bottom. In addition, this period saw the permanent settlement of two major ethnic groups in the region, the Aramaeans and the Chaldeans. Both of them would play important roles in the history of Babylonia and the Near East in general. The first of the four dynasties that reigned during this dark period is known as the Second Dynasty of the Sealand, and its first king according to at least two different Babylonian kinglists was Simbar Shipak, which is actually a Kassite name. Perhaps he came to power, or at least was recognized as the rightful ruler of Babylon due to his ability to stem the tide of Aramean invasions and defend Babylonia's holy sites. At the time, about 1020 BCE, swarms of Aramean tribes were migrating into Babylonia from the west and, at least according to the records and chronicles of the time, were causing havoc on the settled peoples of the land. Such documents also tell us that they'd frequently raid and plunder religious sites, much like the Vikings did to Christian monasteries during the Middle Ages in northern and western Europe. One of these documents tells how Simbar Shipak restored the great temple of the god Enlil, the Eker, in the holy city of Nippur, as well as that of the sun god Shamash in Sippar. They had previously been looted by the Aramaeans and their Sutian allies. The text reads, Concerning the throne of the god Enlil in Eker, which Nebuchadnezzar, a previous king, had made during the reign of Adad Apla Idina, king of Babylon, the Aramean and Sutian foe, the enemy of Eker and Nippur, the one who upset their rights in Sippar, the ancient city, of the great judge of the gods, plundered the land of Sumer and Akkad, and overthrew all the temples. There are few mentions of Simba Shipak in any other texts or inscriptions. However, there are a number of documents that indicate that whatever stability he may have provided to Babylonia was short-lived. 
For example, a Babylonian chronicle states that Simbashipak's successor, Iyamukinzeri, was a usurper who only reigned for three months. It reads, Iyamukinzeri, a usurper, a son of Hashmar, reigned three months. He was buried in the marshland of Bit Hashmar. Being buried in the marshland doesn't seem like a very dignified way to put a Babylonian king to rest. And that, with the fact that he only ruled for three months, gives the impression that he may have suffered an unnatural death. It's hard to know for sure because there are no details as to how he died. Though Iyamukinziri is an Akkadian name, the chronicle says that he was the son of Hashmar and buried in Bit Hashmar. Hashmar means falcon in the Kassite language, which is interesting because his successor, the third and last ruler of the second Selen dynasty, also had a Kassite name, Kashu Nadin Ahi, which literally means the Kassite god provides brothers. Perhaps the second dynasty of the Selen were originally Kassite warlords who just happened to rule over the city of Babylon. This is just conjecture though, based on the few fragments of information that we have. The next dynasty according to the Kinglis and Chronicles was the Bazi dynasty. Unfortunately, we just have the names of their kings, Yulmash Shakin Shumi, Ninerta Kuduri Usar, and Shirikti Shukamuna. Probably from the town of Baz on the Tigris River, they also seem to have had a Kassite connection, because the name of its last king, Shirikti Shukamuna, is a Kassite name that means Gift of the God Shukamuna. Shukamuna was a distinctly Kassite god. The third of these dynasties is just as obscure. Its sole king, Marbidi Apla Usar, ruled for six years. Though he did have an Akkadian throne name, a Babylonian chronicle claims that he had Elamite ancestry. Marbidi Apla Usar, a distant descendant of Elam, reigned six years. He was buried in Sargon's palace. One king, the dynasty of Elam. He reigned six years. Being called the Elamite dynasty has led some to believe that Marbiti Aplausar may have been a foreign conqueror of Babylon. However, there's no evidence of this. One should also remember that in cosmopolitan Babylon, along with the native Babylonian population, there were many who could claim Elamite, as well as Kassite, Chaldean, or even Aramean ancestry. With regard to this Elamite dynasty, other than the line that I just read to you from the Babylonian Chronicle, there's no other information about it or its sole ruler. Finally, we come to the fourth of these extremely obscure dynasties, the Dynasty of E. Though no less mysterious, it was much longer than the other three dynasties combined. The word dynasty, though, is a bit of a misnomer, because while the king list seems to group all of these kings as belonging to a single dynasty, the fact is that they're of different families, tribes, and even ethnicities. However, since they're grouped together as Dynasty E and what's become known as King List A, scholars currently group them as a single dynasty. Despite several supposed usurpers and battles between families, overall, the period overseen by Dynasty E seems to have been more politically stable than the other three dynasties just mentioned. 
This though doesn't mean that the kings of Dynasty E were very powerful, since during much of their rule, they kept getting bullied by Babylon's powerful neighbor to the north, Assyria. In fact, during the reign of its fourth king, Shamash Mudamik, the Assyrian king, Adad-Nirari II, claims to have essentially conquered all of Karduniash, which was what the Babylonian kingdom had been called since the Kassite era. One of his inscriptions reads, Adad-Nirari, conqueror of the entire land of Karduniash, who brought about the defeat of Shamash Mudamik, king of Karduniash, from Mount Yalman to the Diyala River. The region from the city of Lahiru to Ugarsalu was added to the boundary of Assyria. I conquered the entire land of the city of Der. I brought back the cities of Arapa and Lubdu, fortresses of Karduniash, into the boundaries of Assyria. Most scholars cite the start of Adad-Nirari II's reign in 911 BCE as being the beginning of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Despite this, by 880 BCE, Babylon's fortunes were clearly on the rise during the reign of Nabu Apla-Idina, who ruled for a good 32 years. One of the most famous works of Babylonian art, the Sun Tablet depicting the god Shamash, comes from his time. It depicts Nabu Apla-Idina as being led into the presence of the god Shamash, and uses an artistic style reminiscent of the reliefs going back to the 3rd dynasty of Ur and the 1st dynasty of Babylon. Upon Nabu Apla-Idina's death, his son, Marduk Zakir Shumi, succeeded him. Unlike other kings of Dynasty E, we actually have a good amount of information about his life due mostly to Assyrian records and inscriptions. According to these, especially those of the Assyrian king, Shalmaneser III, Marduk Zakirshumi's brother, Marduk Bel Usate, rose up against his sibling in open rebellion. In the civil war that followed, Shalmaneser went to the aid of Marduk Zakirshumi and in the ninth year of his reign, killed the would-be usurper. This is actually recorded on a famous monument known as the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser, today in the British Museum. The event is recorded as follows. In the eighth year of my reign, Marduk Belusati, the younger brother, revolted against Marduk Zakir Shumi, king of Karduniash, and they divided the land in its entirety. In the ninth year of my reign, I marched against Akkad a second time. As for Marduk Belusati, the terrifying splendor of Asher and Marduk overcame him, and he went up into the mountains to save his life. I pursued him. I cut down with the sword Marduk Belusati and the rebel army officers who were with him. There's an interesting relief that was found at Kalhu, also known as Nimrud, of Shalmaneser III and Marduk Zakirshumi shaking hands as equals in some sort of partnership. Though it literally carves a rosy picture of the two's relationship, one shouldn't take it at face value. It's obvious that Marduk Zakirshumi was in Shalmaneser's debt. The Assyrian king's direct intervention in Babylonian affairs also encouraged both the fragmentation of the country as well as created the conditions for its eventual subordination to Assyria. Marduk Zakirshumi was weak, and the Chaldean tribes in the south knew it. Thus, they put up their own rulers which the Assyrians not only traded with, 
but tacitly recognized as having authority over the Babylonian south. Perhaps Shalmaneser III would have taken further advantage of the situation in Babylon had there also not been a civil war for the throne of Assyria between his two sons. The victor of that conflict ended up being the son who would later be known as Shamshiadad V. Ascending the throne in 823 BCE, Shamshiadad V seems to have been on good terms with his southern neighbor until about 814 BCE when he turned against Babylon and Marduk Zakirshumi's son and successor, Marduk Balasu Ikbi. The chronicles and texts that we have tell that the two fought for a couple of years after which Shamshiadad eventually captured Marduk Balasu Ikbi near the city of Der and had him deported to Nineveh. A year or two later, he captured his successor, Baba Ahaidina, and had him deported to Assyria. He then marched into the Chaldean south and received tribute from its now fully independent kings and took up the title King of Sumer and Akkad, which basically means that he considered himself to have been the ruler over all of Babylonia. So with two kings captured in quick succession, what exactly happened to the Babylonian throne? After the capture of Baba Ahaidina, who reigned for less than a year, Babylonian Chronicle 47 states that there was no king in the country. This is not exactly true. There were kings, new Chaldean kings, they just weren't in the city of Babylon. Shamshiadad V's successor, Adad-Nirari III, claims that they swore allegiance to him. All the kings of Chaldea became my vassals, and I imposed upon them in perpetuity tax and tribute. At Babylon, Borsippa, and Kutta, they brought to me the remnant offerings of the gods Bel, Nabu, and Nirgol. I made pure sacrifices. Though still the most powerful state in the region, by Adad-Nirari III's reign, the Assyrian Empire had been going through a gradual period of decline. This enabled the monarchy in Babylon to get back up on its feet, but by now, the Chaldean presence in politics had become a permanent one. One of the Babylonian kinglists makes note that three consecutive rulers were of Chaldean descent, Marduk Apla Usar, Ariba Marduk, and Nabushuma Ishkun. It seems that there was some trouble between the reigns of Ariba Marduk and Nabushuma Ishkun. Both were from different Chaldean tribes, Ariba Marduk from the Bit Yakin and Nabushuma Ishkun from the Bit Dakuru, and so there may have been a Chaldean rivalry for the Babylonian throne. By 760 BCE, Nabushuma Ishkun of the Bit Dakuru was recognized as king of Babylon, but he seems to have had little real authority outside of the capital. A document from the 8th year of his reign, attributed to his governor from the nearby shrine city of Borsippa, reported the following. Disorders, disturbances, revolt and turmoil occurred in Borsippa, the city of truth and justice. During the reign of King Nabushuma Ishkun, descendant of Dakuru, the Babylonians, the Borsippians, and the citizens of the town Duteti on the bank of the Euphrates, all the Chaldeans, the Arameans, and the people of Dilbat wedded their weapons against one another and slew one another during many days. They also fought with the Borsippians over their fields. 
We're also told things were so bad that during the annual New Year's festival, where the statues of many city gods were brought to Babylon for celebrations, the statue of Nabu could not leave Borsippa for the short ride to Babylon to take part in the festivities. The next king of Babylon is of special interest to historians. His name was Nabu Nasir, meaning the god Nabu is the protector, but he's more commonly known as Nabu Nasser. He seems to have started a new line of kings, as it's assumed that he was not a Chaldean, but from a native Babylonian family. How he came to power isn't known, but like that of his more immediate predecessors, his reign was rather chaotic. Despite this, he's relatively well known because of the work attributed to the 3rd century BCE Babylonian priest turned historian, Berosus. Writing in Greek a few decades after Alexander the Great's conquest of the region, Berosus stated that Nabonassar was responsible for reviving the development of Babylonian science and scholarship, and that astrological observations were for the first time systematically recorded during his reign. It's because of this that the great 1st century geographer, mathematician, and astronomer Ptolemy had access to the complete record of eclipses witnessed at Babylon all the way back to Nabonassar's reign. Though credited with scientific achievements, Nabonassar was weak politically due to consistent trouble with Chaldean and Aramean tribes within his territory, as well as a resurgent Assyria in the north under the powerful king, Tiglath-Pileser III. When Nabonassar died, his son took over, but he ruled for barely a year, and was overthrown by one of his governors, as the document known as Babylonian Chronicles 16 tells us. The fourteenth year of his reign, Nabonassar became ill and went to his destiny in his palace. Nabonassar reigned fourteen years over Babylon. His son Nadin ascended the throne of Babylon. The second year of his reign, Nadin was killed during an insurrection. Nadin reigned two years over Babylon. Shuma Ukin, a governor and leader of the insurrection, ascended the throne. Shuma'ukin reigned one month and two days over Babylon. Mukinzeri, descendant of Amukanu, removed him and took the throne. Mukinzeri, whose full name was Nabu Mukinzeri, was himself a Chaldean. That was enough, though, for Tiglath-Pileser III to deem him a usurper and a threat to Assyrian interests. And so, he launched a full-scale invasion of Babylonia, eventually annexing it to Assyria. This kicked off a century of Assyrian rule in Babylonia and led to some of the greatest conflicts between the two rivals in their shared history, something we've gone over in other programs on Assyria, but that we'll also no doubt revisit in the future. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. If you learned something from this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and follow History with Sai on YouTube. You can also check out History with Sai on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, and stay safe.